Coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and now at the Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Hometown Stories. It means a lot to us. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you shared us with a friend, left us a review, or subscribed to Hometown Stories. That way, you basically get first dibs as soon as we release a new episode. You can also email us at hometownstories at wdbj7.com. We'd love to hear your hometown story. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. Beth Macy began her Roanoke writing career at the Roanoke Times, where she inevitably got up close and personal with the opioid crisis. The personal stories of communities failing to stop the rising tide of opiate addiction, coupled with negligence by the drug companies, brought Macy even closer. She published her best-selling book, Dope Sick, in 2018. And recently, a miniseries of the same name starring Michael Keaton premiered on Hulu. WDBJ7's Joda Shield sat down with Macy to talk about turning newspaper stories into a book into a TV show, how she worked hard to prevent stereotyping Appalachia, and her brief but tough cameo on the series. With a lot of projects like this, you, you hear about an author who has written a book, sold the movie rights, and then just sort of has to hand it off to the team that's putting the production together. In this case, it's, that's not exactly what's happened in this case, is it? Yeah, I had a, a TV agent who was um, pretty assertive, and I, they asked, did you want to try to get as part of your deal to be in the writer's room? And I was like, why not? What a great opportunity to learn a new skill in, you know, in your mid-50s. It doesn't, doesn't happen that much. And so, uh, you know, I met with Danny Strong, the showrunner and the creator and, um, you know, the main writer, and we got along great. And we ended up doing a lot of the uh, original research together for the show, which was really fun. Was it important for you to, to have a hand in it uh, so, so that the story was told the way you hoped it would be? It was, because, you know, Hollywood doesn't get Appalachia right very often, and I really wanted to make sure we got it right. So one of the things Danny was open to was just, you know, I'm from right on the edge of Appalachia. We hired a consultant from Eastern Kentucky, an author uh, named Robert Geip, who's a good friend of mine. He went over all the dialect and the dialogue with a fine tooth comb, um, gave us ideas. Um, and that was really important not to stereotype Appalachia. The other message that I really fought to get into the show and, and is very strong, particularly in the last two episodes, seven and eight, was this idea that we're still abandoning most people with opioid use disorder. And the science is very clear that the best treatment for opioid use disorder is medication-assisted treatment, that is buprenorphine or suboxone or methadone. 
So you see the characters struggling to get access to that, to get access to these life-saving medications, which still happens too often today. Um, so this is not a, a, a retelling of your story in a sense. I mean, it, 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 it's an adaptation of your book, um, but not a... Um, yeah, it fact, doesn't start where my book starts or anything like that. It's basically the first, it's parallel track to the first third of my book, which is the Purdue story and the people in the coal fields who are fighting back. You know, Dr. Art Van Zee, somebody plays him in the show, Sister Beth Davies, uh, the early fighters against Purdue. You know, they were the first people to call them on the phone and say, hey, I think your drug is more addictive than you're letting on. And, you know, they, we portray all the efforts they did um, to try to get them to reformulate the drug, which didn't happen for 14 more years. Right. So it's a fictionalized account in some ways, but it's true to the book and, and uh, the story that you told in those. Absolutely, and even like, the, I, I write about young Tess Henry who was from Roanoke. Even though she's not a character in the show, a lot, so much of what I learned from watching her lose access to her medicines and then become homeless, then become a sex worker, I mean, that is unfortunately the tragic ending for so many people. You know, ultimately she lost her life. And um, so I learned so much from people in Roanoke who helped guide me to understand this. Dr. Sherry Hartman, who's at Carillion, you know, I, I run everything past her. She would, it still answers my questions. I have a new book coming out next year that's about solutions to the opioid crisis and continues the Purdue storyline. So she's been helpful with that too. So what do you think of the final product? I think it's great. The actors brought their A game. Caitlin Deaver as our coal miner, female coal miner who gets um, uh, injured. It, I mean, they called her Little Merrill for Little, Little Merrill Street on set. There's, she's just riveting to watch, as is Michael Keaton. John Hoganacher, who plays um, Assistant U.S. Attorney Randy Ramsire, you know, from, from Abingdon that helped spearhead the case against Purdue in 2007. He's amazing. I mean, they're all really amazing and they're all so knowledgeable about the issue. I was really blown away. I spent a lot of time with them last week. I was only able to go on the set one time and I only met Peter Sarsgaard that one time. So I didn't, I just now am meeting the rest of the cast, but they're amazing. So um, what, what is your hope? Obviously this is going to reach a different audience, probably reach many of the same people who read Dozik, but many more uh, as well. So what is your hope for this project and, and, and its effect? Yeah, because you know the opioid crisis is in the headlines every day. I heard a story on NPR on the way driving here today. And you know, the, it's only getting worse. We lost 96,000 people, uh, all-time record in the last year. And my hope is that if we can bust the stigma that many of us don't even know we have, you know, and it goes back to the war on drugs and Nixon and um, this idea that all people who use drugs are criminals instead of when you watch the show and you see it playing out from the boardrooms to the doctor's offices and the reps telling lies to the doctors and then how it plays out on the ground with the victims, you really start to understand how it went down. And you, I hope, uh, if you have a beating heart in there, You've got to have empathy for these folks because whether they were prescribed, as was the case with our Caitlin Deaver character, or 
um, or, or as was the case with Tess Henry in the book Dope Sick, or many, many people who weren't prescribed, but who got it from illicit channels because it was out there everywhere in grandma's medicine cabinet and dad's medicine cabinet. And um, we should have, we should treat these people who are addicted to opioids as patients with, with the medical problem, not simply uh, addicts, a word I don't like, uh, and criminals. As you say, the story is uh, still being told, um, and, and that's your focus for your next book as well. Yeah, uh, my next book will come out next August. It's called Raising Lazarus, Hope, Justice, and the Future of America's Overdose Crisis, a title we just landed on. Um, and, you know, it begins in a rural North Carolina town, a former furniture town, you know, echoes of Factory Man, and it begins next to a dumpster in a McDonald's parking lot where a healthcare provider is meeting a person who uses heroin and he's crying because he knows he's got to get off the needle or he's going to die. And that's what we have to do. We have to go and meet these folks where they are, whether it's in a needle exchange, a syringe services program, whether it's in a McDonald's parking lot, uh, whether it's in a federally qualified health center or um, on the streets. That's what we have to do if we're going to reverse declining life expectancies in America. So where you uh, highlighted the problem, dope sick, now we're looking more closely at how we can move beyond it. Yeah, and, and definitely, if dope sick is about the problem, raising Lazarus is about the solutions. And it follows a cast of really interesting people who are innovating, who are like bumping up against cultural barriers right and left, two steps forward, one step back, um, there's some, I was really hoping for a hopeful book. There's a chapter near the end that says, this was supposed to be my hopeful book. It says so right there in the subtitle. But there was literally a day not long ago where every story I was following just sort of blew up in, in, in a just tragic but all too common way. And so I make really strong statements at the end of this book, which I, I kind of become out of my journalist hat and put on a little bit of an activist hat. And I say, we need federal leadership. We need the president to take the drug czar's office under his wing and direct it. We need the money that's coming from these settlements to go down to programs, not just the same old, same old, that are treating opioid use disorder with abstinence-only modalities. We need this money to be like set aside for what we know works. And I'm going to show you in the book what, I've, what I believe and what the science says works. But it's, it's counterintuitive for some people. Like, why give a person with opioid use disorder? You're gonna give them clean needles? Yes, because we know that then they're five times more likely um, to enter treatment. And, oh, by the way, not to die. I imagine many authors take on a subject and then move on to the next one, leaving whatever they were working on behind. That's not the case with you. <laughs> I tried. You, you started, I'm, I'm sure, when you were at the run of times on this issue and continue today, and I gather this is going to be with you forever. Oh, Joe, I hope not. Uh, when I wrote the proposal for Dopesick, you know, which was sort of a continuation of my early reporting that I did for the Roanoke Times in 2012, when I wrote the proposal in 15, the book proposal, all the science was saying this epidemic is going to crest in 2018. And it's just getting worse and worse. And COVID made it harder for people to access treatment. 
and also, you know, more depression, more anxiety is going to exacerbate that too. So it's as timely as it ever was. I really did want to write a hopeful next book, and there is hope in it, but it's really a call for change. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't discussed? No, just yeah. that I'm so um, grateful to Roanoke for, for letting me be a journalist here for all these years and all these books, including the TV show, it all started right here with people who trusted me to, to tell their stories and editors that taught me how to do journalism. And, um, you know, I think it's really important uh, that we get to shine a light back in Virginia now. And I'm so thrilled that it got shot here because, you know, North Carolina and Georgia were bidding for it hard. I might have done a little bit of a passionate, uh, maybe even a little tearful speech to Danny Strong when he was deciding where to shoot it. But he came and he toured North Carolina and Virginia and he loved Virginia and he really wants the show to be authentic. So it was pretty, it was, it was a no brainer for him. He, he picked it, even though maybe the tax credits weren't quite as good as some other places. He really fought for it to be shot here so it would be authentic. And I think I read in uh, uh, Ralph Barrier's article that uh, you actually had a, a brief uh, role in it as well. <laughs> Tiny cameo. It was. It's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> but I play Barbara Mullins, uh, editor of the journal Pain, and I'm at a VFW hall uh, somewhere in far southwest Virginia trying to convince the community that opioids are totally safe to take. So it's exactly the opposite of what I think. And Danny said he was trying to coach me to be more na naturalistic in the, in the scene. And he said, it's exactly the opposite of what you think. I want you to be as passionate about that as you are about the other side. I was no, like, that, okay. That must have been a little weird. <laughs> it was really weird. And there were like 30 extras in the room and 30 people in the crew. And it was like, trying out a new skill in front of 100 people is crazy. Well, let me just ask you, so what kind of personal experience has this been for you, uh, helping to translate uh, your book to the, the television screen? Oh, it's been really uh, fun for the most part. So I flew out um, last March, right before COVID, literally, I think the last day of February, I flew to California. I was gonna be living there. I had this cool apartment. And um, I was going to be living there five months, working in the writer's room. And 10 days later, came on home where it was safer and where I got tested right away and had COVID, by the way. Um, and, it, you know, it was a mild case. Um, thank goodness. But um, then we just did the writer's room on Zoom. And, but it was lucky that we already knew each other because I think we had some trust build up from our first couple of weeks at work. And it was just a great team. We had a person in recovery from opioid use disorder on the writer's team. We had two seasoned TV writers who were both from small towns. We had me representing the region and Danny who has all this great experience. So it was a really a pleasure to work with them. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. I'm Leanna Scacchetti. Our editor is Ben Raquelmi. We'll see you next time. Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive. Because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.